couple minutes, I think maybe you'd say yes. Um, this week, my older son was trying to pick up my younger son, and they fell, and the back of my younger son's head hit my young, older son in the face, and he's got, he looks like Rocky now. He's got a split. You know, Tina runs up. He's crying. What's going on? We've got to take him to the hospital. I'm like, I have to take him to the hospital every time he gets a cut. And then she goes like this, and you can see clear through his, to his brain. No. But, I mean, it, it was, I mean, it was a deep cut. Even I gasped. <gasps> got to take him. Yeah. At first, he's crying, you know, the, the shock of getting hit in the face. And, you know, Lincoln shook it off after a couple minutes or whatever, but Elias just kept crying. He kept crying. He kept crying. He's putting on his boots and he's putting on his jacket to go to the hospital. He's still crying. And I just saw something in his, in his eyes. I realized he started out crying because it hurt. He's not crying because it hurt anymore. He's scared. I said, Elias, look at me. It's going to be okay. They're not going to hurt you more at the hospital. They'll give you something so you can't feel it, and it'll be okay. It's not going to hurt. It'll be all right. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. And in my head, I'm like, I better be sure. <laughs> it assured him, and he stopped crying. Okay. And I think many of us as, as Christians, we, as just people, um, there are a lot of things that on the surface we wrestle with and uh, we're tempted to cry. A lot of us, especially the guys, you know, we fight it back. You know, we're, we're not going to cry. That's a, that's a core value in life, to not cry. But maybe if we're alone for a minute, we're watching a movie and a scene just really, t- and, you know, you're, just, you're trying to fight it, but there are things on the surface that we really wrestle with that tempt us to just break down and cry. And I don't think it's always the pain of the situation. You're sick, you're in the hospital, or you lost your job and you feel humiliated or whatever. Um, I think underneath that, the, the deeper wrestle is fear. You know, am I going to get better? Will I ever leave this hospital? Am I going to lose my husband? What, how do I live not with all those intangibles, with all those variables? I, I, that's scary. But I think one of our deepest fears, if we were honest with ourselves, is the fear to live for God. You know, if I lost that loved one, would I still be able to worship God? You know, if I speak up at the workplace, will I lose my job? If I say something to my friend about Christ, will that damage the friendship? We're always afraid of what, would it, what it would mean to really live the way Jesus is calling us to live. And if really living for Jesus doesn't scare you, I think you should take a second look. I mean, wasn't that Peter's problem? Jesus has all his disciples gathered, and he's like, guys, this is what it's like. This is how we live. This is what discipleship is. And pretty soon they're going to take me away, and pretty soon it's going to be like this, and it's going to be like that. And Peter's like, not me. I'll take, I'll take on the world for you, Jesus. Wherever you go, I'll go. Can you really go with me? Yeah, I'll die for you. That's when Jesus said, by morning, you'll deny me three times. The other disciples heard this. I don't think this was a a time out with Peter. Hold on a second, guys. Peter, you're going to deny me. I mean, he just, they're having this back and forth, and the other disciples are watching. And you got to think that, you know, if Peter just got downsized, Peter, the guy that's ready to, to chop guys' ears off if they touch Jesus, and he's ready to dive into action, if he's going to deny Christ, 
What's going to happen to the rest of us? Judas Iscariot already walked out. I mean, what's happening here? And then Jesus says, listen, listen, I'm leaving you. I have to go to the cross. And they're scared. I don't think they're just scared because they're going to lose their personal quiet times with Christ. I think they're scared because they thought Jesus was going to come and take over the world. You know, remove Caesar, put on his own crown, Israel's back on top, let's take over this world. Instead, Jesus says, I'm going to go let them beat me up and kill me. I'll see you guys later. And that's scary. Because they feel abandoned. But how, Jesus, how are we supposed to take this mission? How are we supposed to do all this stuff, all these commandments you talk to us about? How are we supposed to do that? Peter's going to fail. Judas already walked out. You're leaving us. We feel like abandoned orphans. And I think many of us feel that way. I was at a small group years ago. And in the small group, I wasn't the small group leader. I was in the small group, and the small group leader was talking about living for Christ, living for Jesus, doing it the way he would do it. What would Jesus do? All those things. And then one guy, he was just a real honest guy. wasn't, I don't know if he was a Christian or not, but he just said, you know what? Uh, Jesus says live like this, live like that, but that, that's easy for him to say. He's Jesus. I mean, yeah, he came here and he lived on the earth, but he's Jesus. I mean, he walked on water. He healed people. He's God. So it's easy for him to do it. And everybody's like, oh, no, no. And, you know, it sounds like it's just a big excuse. But I, I try to see underneath that. And I think here you have this guy. He comes to church, and church is saying, live like this, be like this, don't do that. Stand up to your boss, stand up to your coworker, tell your neighbor about Jesus. Don't be afraid if you get sick. Don't be, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Be like Jesus, do all this stuff. And then we go out into the world and we feel like, you know, I don't have that direction that I need. I don't have, Jesus is not here. When we come to church, we don't see Jesus physically. He, we're like abandoned orphans in the world. He, this guy felt like he was just uh, left hanging out to dry. You know, here's how you're supposed to live. Go out in the world and live like that without any kind of direction. And I think it's hard for us when we feel like abandoned orphans. It's hard for us to not feel powerless and alone. And so like me with Elias, Jesus saw fear in his disciples' eyes just before Jesus was taken away. And that's in John chapter 14. If you turn there, um, I think Jesus picked up on this fear. It's right after he just told, he just told Peter at the end of John 13, look, you're going to deny me. And then Peter was quiet after that. There's nothing to say to that. Um, and then in chapter 14, Jesus gives his farewell. This is Jesus' goodbye to the disciples. That's beginning in verse 1. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus begins, he says, don't be troubled. You know, don't worry. And then he does, it's not like he doesn't give him any follow-up. Hey, just don't worry. See you later. You know, trust me. Okay, bye. No, he gives he a whole chapter of explanation trying to explain why you should trust me. Why you shouldn't be afraid. Why you shouldn't be troubled. And he doesn't say you shouldn't be troubled because they're not going to do anything to me. 
He doesn't say, you shouldn't be troubled because I'm not going to die. And he doesn't say, you shouldn't be troubled because I'm not going to leave you. He says, no, I am going to leave you. But you still shouldn't be troubled. Why? Well, the first move he makes is he says, because one day you're going to dwell with God. I mean, this is all transient, temporary, what you were looking forward to a day. I have to leave to go prepare this place. Some of your translations say I'm going to prepare mansions, but I think that, that, that kind of misses the point. He's saying, you know, we want to dwell with the Father, we want to live with Him, and there's many rooms. There's room for everyone. But we will literally dwell with God one day. There, there's going to be a day where we dwell in perfection with God. There is no, no things to fear. And he makes that clear to them. And then, you know, Tom, Thomas, Tommy, whatever you want to call him, Tommy boy, he gets confused, as he often does, because he doubts. And he says, well, what place are you going? Give me the address so we can meet you there. Because obviously, if you're leaving us, you know, we need, we need the GPS coordinates. So we can find you there, and we can meet you, and we can dwell there. And he goes, I'm the, I'm the way. You know, I'm the way to get there. If you know me, you get there. Don't worry. It's not a physical path. I'm the path. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Oh, okay. So God is preparing a place for us to dwell with God, and Jesus is the way to get there. Then look what he says. Because if you were, if, if you were the disciples, you'd be saying, okay, that's really great. So in the future, we get to dwell with God. That's great. But you haven't dealt with my current crisis, which is we still have to stand up to Rome. We're still going to get persecuted. Peter's going to deny. Who knows what happens to Peter? Is he going to follow Judas' path? Is Judas going to come back? What's going I mean, what's going to happen on earth? Like, that's nice in the future. We get rooms and dwell with God. Aren't we in that place? We hear the preacher preach about heaven, and we hear the preacher preach about how nice it's going to be, and you're going to get glorified bodies. Unless, well, guess what, preacher? I don't have a glorified body right now, and right now it hurts. Yeah, one day I'll get to see my loved one that passed away, but right now I don't. Right now it's just a cold spot in that bed where she used to lie. What about now? Well, Jesus didn't leave him hanging. He continued. And he explained, uh, beginning in verse 12. Tom asked his question, how do we get there? He said, I, I get you there. And then Philip said, well, show us the Father. He said, I am showing you. That. You look at me, you are seeing the Father. I am God. And then verse 12 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works then these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Did you catch what he's doing? He's answering the guy's question from the Bible study. The guy said, that's easy for Jesus, because he, he was Jesus. Jesus saying, listen, don't be afraid like... If we don't have Jesus, we're not going to be able to accomplish anything. If I don't have Jesus right there next to me, I'm not going to be able to do things for him. He said, you're going to do, you're going to continue my works and you will do greater works than I did. This, this verse that you're looking at right here has puzzled commentators for centuries. And I wish I could tell you, but I figured it out. Let me explain it to you and disperse this recording and then I'll be published before you know it. Uh, no, it, it is enigmatic. It's confusing. Because we scratch our heads and go, wait a minute, Jesus walked on water. Jesus turned water to wine. Jesus 
put spit and dirt in a guy's eye and the guy didn't want to punch him in the face. Can you imagine going up to somebody and go <laughs> with some mud and put it in a guy's eye? I wouldn't recommend it. But Jesus did it. The guy's just letting him do it. And then he sees. The blind guy sees. And Jesus is saying, you're, you're going to do... You're going to continue my works. You're going to do greater works than me. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave. And you're not going to walk around twiddling your thumbs. You're going to continue the mission. And not only are you going to continue the mission without fear, you're going to continue the mission in such an awesome way that it's greater than what I could have done in my three years of ministry. Now, I don't, I don't think that Jesus meant you're going to do greater miracles. Because... I think as we look back in history, that's kind of a lie then. You know, I, I, don't, I can't go to your house and turn your wine into Coke. It's not going to happen. You've got to go to Walmart and buy it. You know, um, we experience healings and we see these things, but it, it's not the way Jesus did it. I don't think he was just talking about that. I think he was talking about his mission. Jesus wanted to advance the kingdom of the world. That's why Jesus came, right? He proclaimed the gospel. And after Jesus left, the, the Christians disperse and, and people come to Christ from India, from, from Germany, from, I mean, from everywhere. Bringing people into the kingdom and growing the kingdom on this earth. That's what the church does to continue Christ's work. I think that's what he's talking about. That's what's greater. Our fear is we fear becoming a part of that plan. Well, I don't know the Bible. I can't lead a Bible study. I don't know the Bible. I can't talk to my, that person. I don't know what I would say. What if they have an argument about the existence of God? I don't know, apologetics, what am I going to say to that person? And so our fear causes us to, we go to church, we go to a Bible study, but when we're out in the world, we're kind of like incognito people. You know, instead of being ambassadors for Christ, we're kind of, you know, we wear the cloak and we're not advancing this mission that Jesus is talking about. But Jesus promised that you will do great, you'll do greater than I was able to do. I have to go to the Father so that you guys can be the people you need to be. And it'll be great. Well, you know, if you were like me, um, that would have been confusing and that would be really hard to believe. Because you know what? The fact is, um, I'll never be as eloquent as Jesus. I'll never know as much as Jesus did about the Bible. And in those moments when somebody asks me something, I'm not going to have all the verses memorized. I don't have all the arguments, existence of God or the case for Christ and the case for faith. And I don't have all those fine points memorized I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and sometimes I'm just lazy, or sometimes I really just don't care. You know, I, I, I'm not that kind of, if, G, if God is banking on, on the likes of me to advance the kingdom in this world, it, it's, it's looking pretty bleak, God. <laughs> I mean, you choose people, we're not, we're not Jesus. And then he promises something spectacular that to you and I, we kind of just read it, and we just keep going. I think maybe because we don't understand it, but this is so spectacular. I think if we really let it hit us, we'll understand why Jesus said this, beginning in verse 15. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be 
in you. Now, right there we have to take a pause. Because we're so many centuries removed from this context, and we don't get the import of that. We read it and we're like, okay, we're not getting... If you were a disciple training under Jesus, you would, have been, you would have been reading the Old Testament. One of the themes replete through the Old Testament is this theme of sacred space, God's presence on earth. It started in the Garden of Eden, right? And then they, they bit the fruit, and then they were kicked out from God's presence. So from that point on, throughout the whole rest of the Bible, there's this tension between wanting to be in God's presence, needing to be in God's presence, Our purpose is to be in God's presence, but we can't because of the thing that happened in the garden. We were kicked out. And then God is always, we can't be in God's presence. God's presence is always trying to come to us, but there's boundaries. We see it again when Moses leads God's people out of Egypt, right? And then God comes down to meet with them in the tent of meeting. And a cloud would come down on the mountain, and the mountain's shaking, and fire works are going and they're like Moses we can't we can't meet with God you just go in the tent and you talk with him and then you come out and tell us what he said okay you go back and forth and tell us what he said because we'll die his presence is too awesome his presence is too great it's too magnificent it's too glorious and we're gonna die we're the little old us we die remember what Isaiah said when he saw the vision of God's glory in the temple his first reaction wasn't oh this is so great can we hug he threw himself down on the floor and he said, I, I'm, I'm, woe is me, I'm come apart, I'm unraveled. When you're in God's presence, you just recognize how much you don't belong there. But God keeps pressing and God keeps showing the visions and coming. And he would come in the tent. Remember when Moses went up in the mountain, he came down, his face was glowing so bright they had to put a veil on his face. I mean, this, this connection with God. And then it, it went from the tent to the temple and so instead of the tent moving around all the time, they had the temple. I mean, this is what they're fighting over in the Middle East still today. You know, where this location is and the ground and the sacred. There's something sacred about this land, about this space, about these bricks and the mortar, this roof. It's because God dwelled here. And one of the artifacts that represented God's presence was the Ark of the Covenant. You remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? I, I, I hate, I mean, those of us that are a little bit... Uh, a little bit lean on our Old Testament readings might at least remember, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that's, that's just inaccurate. Indiana Jones, it's, I mean, George Lucas, whatever. But the concept of God dwelling in that ark, the Nazis thought if we could harness that power, Indiana Jones is like, don't open that thing. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to open that thing. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. There's this, there's this idea of, that God wanted to, rep- that, to convey with that Ark of the Covenant. That's like my footstool. That's where I sit. That's where I reside. That's where I am. And wherever I am, that's where you'll experience power and blessing. And I'll do things when I'm present. Well, then there's like 400 years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Nobody knows what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. And Rome comes in and occupies everything. And, and then this little child is born. And it's like God is saying, you know, forget a garden, forget a box that are made from human hands with angels hovering over it and stuff, uh, gilded with gold. Forget a temple, forget a tent. I'm going to send my son. And that's going to be my presence on earth, walking on two feet, healing people, blessing people, proclaiming the message. And now here's Jesus. You can see why the disciples losing this. This is the best sacred presence you'll ever get. You don't have to travel to some Mecca. It's not a building. It's someone that talks. It's someone that teaches. It's someone that sits down and eats with you. 
God, the person, is, is, is here. That's God's presence on this earth. You can get close to him. He would sit down with sinners and eat with them and converse with them. That's awesome. And now Jesus is saying, bye. And the disciples are like, what, what do we do? Go back to the temple? Where are you going to be? Now you come to this verse where he says it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper, like another disciple to replace Judas. No, no. This helper will be with you forever. Oh, like an eternal helper, an eternal being? Yes, very much so. It's the spirit of truth. The world can't receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, if you read the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people. The Spirit of God would come upon David and empower him to do something. But not, never in. Spirit can't indwell a person. You're a sinner. I mean, it's the Spirit of God, the space of God has to be something else, like a holy temple or like an ark of a covenant or Jesus, the perfect man. And the Spirit could kind of be around you or upon you, but, but not in you. And Jesus is saying, you know why I have to go to the Father? To complete my purchase of you. To finish the whole thing about sin. The whole thing that separates you from God is, is sin. I have to die, I have to be resurrected, and I have to go to the Father. Once that purchase and that transaction is complete, I can send you the Spirit. And He won't just be with you. He won't just be next to you. He won't just be kind of like coming upon you sometimes. He'll indwell you. You know what God's sacred presence on earth is right now? You. We don't worship this building. This pulpit isn't sacred. I am. You are. There's not, it's nothing special about the pews. What's special are the pews are the, those of you that are sitting in it. God's presence in this world is you and you and you. You see why God, Jesus is saying, I'm a one sacred space walking around. Now we're going to have millions of people representing God's sacred presence in this world, advancing the kingdom for God, that's greater than just Jesus with a handful of disciples in the Middle East. Um, you have to think of Isaiah seeing God and just experiencing that awesome, how the Israelites would describe God as a consuming fire, that powerful pillar of fire that separated them from, saved them from Pharaoh's soldiers, that awesomeness indwells you. I can't, I don't have the language to explain it. I, I don't, I don't have the, the, I'm not good enough with rhetoric to explain to you what that is. You have to feel that. I mean, God indwells the Christian. He's not a far off thought. He's not some abstract idea. The person of God indwells you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And so when it comes to advancing his kingdom, there's nothing you can't do. Greater works will you do. What, what, if I, what if I really need something to happen in order to advance God's kingdom here? Ask it in my name and you'll have it. Why? Because you're so awesome? No, because the Spirit of God indwells you. And if he's prompting that prayer inside of you, God listens to himself. The Holy Spirit births a passionate prayer inside your heart and you lift that to God. God is listening to himself and he does it. 
It's not because we're special. It's because God indwells us. And when we don't even know what to pray, the Spirit comes along and, and He lifts up prayers, even if it's just groaning. And, and God, God listens to His own prayers. And He does it. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so, Jesus explains to them, look, one day you'll dwell with God, but even now, He dwells in you. You don't have to wait to some far-off day to experience God's dwelling. One day you'll dwell with God, for sure. But even now, He dwells in you. And so, the disciples, they're not done with their questions. In verse 18, another question comes up. He says, uh, Jesus tells them, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Let a little while... And the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then Judas, not Iscariot. Judas was like, you know, Jimmy or something, a common name. And he says, Lord... How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? You see, his question, he's still thinking the kingdom takeover. How, okay, Jesus, you're going to leave, and then you're going to come back with like the Spirit of God and all this stuff. You're going to be with us somehow. How are you going to take over this whole world and the, and the world doesn't see you? He goes, because I'm not talking about a physical takeover yet. I'm talking about a spiritual takeover. And my spirit's gonna not, you know, show up like a big apparition that everybody sees. Spirit's gonna indwell people. It's an invisible reality that we know by faith. And what the world will see is the effect of it. But they won't see me and they won't see a physical Holy Spirit. It's gonna be in you. You see, Jesus is trying to pull them away from this. The only way I'll feel safe, the only way I'll stop fearing living the Christian life is if everybody's Christian. If the president is Christian and his whole cabinet is Christian, and when I go to school, all the teachers are Christian, and when I go to a barbecue at the park, I can join any barbecue that's already there as long as I bring some hot dogs, and I can join them, and we could just start talking about the Bible because they're all Christian. That's the only way I'll ever really feel safe. If I get a flat and pull over, I know that the first person to stop and help me, I don't have to worry, is this guy a weirdo? Because we're all Christian, and I don't have to fear anymore. So Jesus, is that what you're going to do? You're going to turn, you're going to make everybody serve you, right? And then we're going to be up top. We're going to be like your, your, your secret agent disciples, you know, and like, uh, Jesus, this guy, you know, no, Jesus saying, no, 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 this is a spiritual takeover. You notice he doesn't erase trouble. No, you're going to have trouble. Trouble will come. But, but this, this, the presence of God in you in the midst of trouble, that, that's what alleviates the fear. Your heart shouldn't be troubled, not because you're not going to face difficult circumstances. Your heart shouldn't be troubled because you're indwelled by the Spirit of God. He's in control. He knows what's going on. He's with you, and He's in you. And so He explains to him, um, verse 22, He said, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. You see how Jesus keeps coming back to 
Those who hear my word love me. Those who love me keep my words, keep my commandments. It's replete throughout. I haven't drawn attention to it yet, but maybe you've been catching on to that. It's all over chapter 14. It's riddled with it. You keep my commandments, you've got to keep my commandments. Make sure you keep my commandments. If you really love me, you'll obey what I said. If you really love me, you'll hear. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to teach you all these things. You're going to learn. You're going to keep these things in your mind. You're going to do them. You're going to be obedient. That's how I know that their fear is tied to their inability to obey God, to live a godly life when they're scared. He's saying, don't you give in to that fear. You do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, it's scary to be uh, a godly person in a workplace where the repercussions could be you lose your job. That's scary. He's not saying that's not scary. That's scary when the world is against you. It's scary when the ACLU is trying to, 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 to if they had their way, Christian, they'll just go back to the history books and rip out every page that said anything about Christianity. This just doesn't exist. You know, let's change it to happy holidays from, I mean, from, from, and everything in between that spectrum. There, there's this, this stark opposition against Christianity, and it's scary to live in a world like that. I know some guys, they're scared of the Bible. How come you don't read the word? I don't know. It's like, I don't know. Don't be scared of the Bible, man. I think what they're really scared of is one guy said, well, open it. And we open to a random psalm. I'm like, read, read a verse. Put your finger in there and just read whatever your finger lands on. And you read it. And I said, what is he saying there? Well, he's saying this and that. Okay, what's confusing about it? Nothing really. I mean, I don't think your problem is you don't understand. I think your problem is you're going to be convicted by it and now you have to live it. You're scared. So we fear living for God in a real way in this world. We don't fear coming to church. That's safe. What we fear is coming to church and getting a charge from a passage and then going out there and living that charge. That's what we fear. I know people are afraid to go to small group. Why? Oh, we're going to pray. Or what if they ask me, like, you know, to confess something? Or what if they ask me touchy-feely questions that I buried for so long? I don't want to talk about that stuff. I'm going to just go watch the game. You know, watching a game is safe. The players, and the, 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 they don't expect anything from you. Going to a small group is not safe. Because you got people that are going to be in your face. Hey, how, how, how are you doing this week? Well, if I tell them I'm not doing so hot, then they're going to want to know why. And then I'm going to become a prayer request. And then everybody's going to, it's scary. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is inside of you. He takes over to a point where you're like, I need other people. But the Holy Spirit takes over you to the point where you see that co-worker and you don't think about your job. You think that person's going to hell if I don't say something. Holy Spirit takes over you and you're afraid because when your kid stands up to you and you go, I don't want a rebellious teenager. Oh my goodness, that would be such heartache. And then you're wanting to bend the rules and let your teen do whatever he or she wants. And the Holy Spirit takes over and goes, you shepherd that child. If you don't, no one else is going to do it. I think when the Holy Spirit indwells you, you get the courage that God has. When the Holy Spirit indwells you, you get the boldness that God has. God knows what he's doing, and he directs, and he moves, and he's not going to leave you out there like an orphan. Go live a life for me, and I'll see you on the other side. If you make it, snicker, snicker. No. I will see you on the other side, and in the meantime, I'm going to not just be with you, I'm going to be in you, prompting you indwelling you, giving you what you need to live a radically transformed life, no matter what the consequences are, because I'm in you. That's awesome. So, as he, as he brings this to a close, and 
before he gets snatched from them and he moves on to some other things to let them know. Verse 25, if you look there, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Later on, when he writes 1 John, he, he tells them there's people sneaking into the church and teaching crazy stuff. But those of you who are really Christians, you won't be dissuaded by that. He tells them why. He says, I know why you will not be fooled by deceitful teachings. You know why? Because you guys all went to seminary. That's why. You had Dr. D.A. Carson as your New Testament Greek professor, and there's no way you can be duped. He says, you know how I know you won't be pulled away? Because you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit inside of you means you don't need to be taught. Now, why is he writing a letter if they don't need to be taught? No, we need sermons and we need Bible studies and we need to learn. But he's saying, you don't need, you don't need to, somebody to hold your hand and say, this is true, this is deceitful. We do that in community. When it comes down to it, you can have three PhDs in theology. You can have a little old lady who never went to school, never, you know, uh, can't read a lot in one shot, and she has very minimal understandings of all the theological doctrines and stuff like that. But when they both hear a lie, it's the spirit inside of you that goes, that, that's not the voice of my father. There, there's something inside of you that, that guides you, that allows you to see this is dark, this is light, this is truth, this is deceit. And sometimes there's nuances we could be confused and there's, there's, we need to read and we need to learn. But there's something foundational about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that he won't allow you to go out there and just get confused. You, you obey Christ's teachings, you learn Christ, you keep your nose in the Word. The Holy Spirit inspired this. These words are written down because the Holy Spirit put it there. These are the things the Spirit will bring to your mind and teach you. And you're not on your own in doing that. Um, one day we'll dwell with God, but even now He dwells in us. And I think it's easy for us to see that as something cliche or maybe even corny sounding until we understand what it means God's presence, what that means inside of us, changing us, indwelling us. Um, finally, this last verse, Christ leaves them a promise. Some of you are saying, I thought this had to do with peace. It does. Verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There's a lot of meanings to peace. Peace sometimes is the opposite of war, or peace is the opposite of chaos. But here is the opposite of their fear. You're afraid to live for me. As soon as I leave, you guys are going to be afraid to live for me. You're going to be around a campfire, a young girl, she's kind of cute, she's going to ask, are you a disciple? Oh, no, no, not me. A, a girl? A servant girl? Two minutes, last night you were talking about standing up against Rome and a little girl around a fire because you didn't want to look, you know. Your macho image or something was, I don't know exactly what was going on in Peter's mind, but he did what Jesus said he'd do. He denied Jesus three times. We're afraid to live for God. That's what Jesus is trying to get at. You're afraid to live for God. Just admit it. You're afraid. You leave these doors, and it's safe in here. You can talk Jesus and do all that stuff in here, but when you go out there, that's where it's scary. Don't be afraid, he says. I give you peace, a peace that settles that fear. You can go out there and live for me. Because I've given you the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for heaven for God's dwelling. God indwells you now. 
And when you know that, it changes your life. You know, a lot of sermons I like to leave with, do this, do that, do that. You know, the main idea that this pastor is trying to get us at is to do this or stop doing that. But, but this one's not like that. This one is know something. I, I, Jesus is saying, I want you to know something. He's not leaving them a to-do list. He's just saying, I, I need you to know something. If you know this, if you understand this, you will not be afraid. And you'll do the commandments. You'll do all those other sermons. If you get this, the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you. Transform your life. And when you realize that, there's no fear. You know, um, the, one of the things the disciples kept missing was that if you don't have Christ, you don't get this. If you're in here this morning and you don't know Christ, you're into church, you'll read the Bible, you talk about God in vague terms, but, but you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't get this peace. I mean, isn't that what Thomas was missing? Well, show us the way and we'll meet you there. You can't meet me there like we're all going to take different paths. I am the path. If you miss me, you miss the Father. It's over. And then right after that, Philip says, well, Lord, just show us the Father and we'll be fine. He's like, are you kidding me? Have we not been together for a long time, Philip? He said, if you see me, you see the Father. I am God. I am the way to heaven. I'm the one that's going to go prepare this place for you. And so if you miss Christ, you, you don't get the Holy Spirit. You don't get the, the relationship with the Father. There is no dwelling place for you in the future. Well, there is a dwelling place, if you want to call it that. It's not the Father's house. And if you miss Christ, you'll never know this peace. In World War II, as World War II was winding down, and General MacArthur was uh, leading the way in many fronts, uh, the United States military bypassed a lot of small Pacific islands when they attacked Japan. And um, when World War II was over and victory was declared and Japan surrendered, um, a lot of those small Pacific islands that were passed up still had Japanese soldiers in them waiting in their bunkers, like in fear, waiting for that attack. And so the U.S. military knew that, and they, they sent out word, you know, and, and they explained to the Japanese soldiers, uh, the war is over. Um, peace has been declared. Lay down your arms and come out. But they, they thought it was a trick. You know, oh, your peace is coming out. We're going to get shot if we go out there. War is not over. We'll die. And so MacArthur did. He had the, the emperor of Japan record his voice saying, uh, that lay down your arms and come out. Peace has been declared. Come out. And when he played that recording, it was only then that they believed that indeed peace has come and it was safe to go out. The last soldier, though, finally came out of hiding in March of 1974, 29 years after the war was over. They asked him why. He said, I was afraid. I think you and I, we huddle really well. We've got good at church attendance, and we get together, and we listen to the word, and we shake each other's hands, and maybe we go to small group, but we go there, but it's a nice, safe huddle. But in the in-between time, 
We're not doing that greater works than Jesus. We're not out there taking the world for Christ because we're scared. And we don't think it's really safe to come out. We don't think it's safe to go out on a limb for Jesus. We don't think it's safe to really live a radical life for Christ. We're scared we'll fail. We're scared of opposition. We're scared of persecution. We're scared of not knowing what to say. And Jesus is saying, I I give you a promise. You'll have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. He'll teach you what to say. He'll give you the courage. He'll give you the boldness. You turn the pages over and go to Acts and Peter preaches his first sermon. Bold. Doesn't care if they kill him. And they don't. Instead, 3,000 people come to Christ on his first sermon. Is that the same Peter? Not really. That's a spirit indwelled Peter. And that's the change that you and I experience. So Jesus tells us, because of that promise of the Holy Spirit, do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. One day you'll dwell with God, but even now, He dwells with us. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that we have many fears. Most of them we don't wear on our sleeve. Some of them maybe we don't even recognize we, we operate under. We live with these fears and we, we've become so inoculated to them we don't even realize they're there. We're just kind of used to them. But really when it comes down to it, the reason why we don't really live out your word, the reason why we don't, we don't take discipleship to the next level is because we're afraid We're afraid to really live for you in a world that hates you. And so, Lord, sometimes it's not more Bible studies that we need. It's not a fresh translation of the Bible. or, Or what we need is peace so we can live for you without fear. Grant us that peace in the name of Christ, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray it. Amen.